I just want to welcome everyone to FAM Church. Uh, we're, we're excited that you're here, and as it's come forth in, in, in everything, our, our, our mission statement is connecting people to Christ. That's what we're here for. That's what this church is about. We want to connect people to Christ. We want the city of Mulberry to know who Jesus is. We want Lakeland to know who Jesus is, and that's what we're here for. And if you're here for the first time this morning, we're really excited that you are with us. And if you're in church for the first time or the first time in a long time, and you say to yourself, man, I don't even know if I belong in church. Because I've got questions, I've got doubts, I've got issues, I've got, I've got stuff, and I just don't belong in church. Can I tell you that you're in the right place today? God wants us to help you, to walk you through all of those questions and those things that you've got going on. And so, uh, and so let's, uh, let's jump in this morning's message. And the original plan was to, uh, to continue and finish up our last three messages in our Letters from Patmos series. And uh, I was working on that. I was working on message number seven. And I felt like God said to me, you know what? Uh, I need you to do something different for the next three weeks. And so uh, we ma- I made a little change. And for the next three weeks, uh, we're going to be looking at a message series that's going to be called Keys to the Kingdom. And there's a whole story behind the uh, the, the reason for the message, but uh, it's also got a point to it. And so I'm going to get to that in a couple of minutes. I'm not going to explain the whole background story. And if you're dying to hear the last three messages from the letters from Patmos series, uh, we'll get to that in a few weeks. Uh, But today I just, I want to talk about keys to the kingdom. And so let's talk about keys. How many of you are carrying keys with you this morning? How many of you got keys? Yeah, these keys are super handy, aren't they? I mean, if I gave you this key right here, what could you go do? You could go get in my car, start the car, and drive it. Now, you wouldn't get very far because I'm almost out of gas. But you could at least drive it to maybe get yourself some McDonald's or something like that, okay? And so it gives you access to my car and it gives you the power to do something with that access to my car. Or maybe maybe it's this. Maybe it's a, a key to a house, What does that give you? That gives you access to somebody's house, right? You can walk into their house and you can sit down and you can watch their TV. You can take their food. Um, you You can do, I mean, you can sleep in their bed. If you had, it gives you access and power. Or maybe, maybe it's this key right here, the key to the church. If you've got the key to the church, you can do all kinds of things, right? You could show up here when we're not all here and you can come in and you can practice the drum, right? Or you could get on somebody's guitar and maybe play the guitar. Or, or you could go over to our kitchen and finish up some of the sweet, half-drank sweet tea containers we've got in the refrigerator over there. But keys, they give you access. They give you power. Has anybody ever uh, ha- given somebody keys and they've used, misused that power? They've like misused the authority that you gave them and given them these keys? Yeah, I've, I've done that many times, and I, I was trying to decide which story to tell because I actually have so many of them of me misusing power when it comes to keys, and so that should make you all fearful of ever giving me the keys to your house. I'm just saying, okay? But, uh, but yeah, I mean, one story in particular, I remember when my parents first gave me a key to the house. I was in fifth grade, and uh, my mom and dad decided it was time that I had a key to the house, and they had given me this key uh, about uh, a week before a school vacation had started, and so 
I, th- I believe the vacation was spring break, although I'm not sure. And uh, they'd given me this key. And uh, they both worked full time, and so that meant they were out of the house. And so on this spring break week, they sent us over to a neighbor's house to be watched by the neighbor. Well, in the morning before we left that Monday, I put this new source of power and authority in my pocket, and I left to go to the house that was babysitting us. Well, about noontime, uh, we finished eating lunch, and my friends in the neighborhood said, hey, we want to play football. Well, I was the only one that had a football. And uh, I was like, well, my mom and dad aren't home. Wait a minute. I have got the key to the house. I've got the power. I've got the access. I've got the authority to get in there and get this football. And so I went, we, me and my friends, we went to the house, and I wasn't entirely sure where the football was at. My dad had put it someplace. And so we decided to go to the most likely rooms and most likely spaces where the football would be at. And we slowly started to pull the house apart, okay? We started to pull stuff out of here and stuff out of there. And, and then we couldn't find it in the house. And so I said, well, maybe it's in the garage. And so we went out into the garage and we started looking through the garage, pulling stuff out of here and there and everywhere. And we finally found the football in the garage and we headed out to play football again. Well, my dad got home about 3 o'clock that afternoon. And uh, he comes to the front door and the front door is unlocked. So he walks into the house, and he notices stuff kind of strewn all throughout the house. He then goes into the kitchen and notices the door from the kitchen to the garage is open. He then goes into the garage, and guess what he finds there? More stuff thrown everywhere. And so if you were to walk into your house and see that, what would the first thought in your mind be? Someone broke into the house and ransacked it, right? And so, what do you do when someone breaks into your house? You call the police, exactly. So, I come home a few minutes after this with football in hand, and my dad has a note taped to the front door saying, when you come in the house, don't touch anything. The police are on their way over here to fingerprint, and uh, so we we're, just don't touch anything. And so, I walk in the house, I'm like, why are the police on their way over here? My dad said, because somebody broke into the house, threw stuff everywhere, door to the garage was open, something's missing. I'm like, oh, because, because I had had the keys, I didn't think I had done anything wrong, because he had given me the power to come into the house. And so I said, oh, Dad, don't worry about it. It was me that came into the house. Okay, so those of you that are dads, would that tick you off? Oh, boy, was my dad ticked off because he had to call the police back and tell them, hey, it was just my son, and uh, he did it with the house key. And, uh, and, so, and so let's just say that that power that had been given to me with that house key was removed on that afternoon, Okay. But that is what keys can do for us. And so why are we talking about keys? Well, the reason I am talking about keys is just like our car, just like our house, in the kingdom of, our, in, in the kingdom of God, there are keys that open things for us. There are keys that God gives us to advance his kingdom. And so what we are going to look at over the next three weeks is we're going to look at the things that God has given Fam Church to advance his kingdom in our church itself, in the city of Mulberry as well, so that we can unlock his power, so that we can unlock his presence, so that we can see God do something supernatural and super incredible in our church. 
Because I know a lot of people have been asking the question. They come in here on a Sunday morning and they look around the room and they say, you know, there's a, there's a lot of empty chairs here. I don't understand. The last two mission speakers we've had have both said to me when we went to lunch that afternoon, he's like, I don't get why you have so many empty chairs. I mean, it makes no sense to me because, I mean, your church is alive. It's vibrant. People are excited. Usually churches like that are full. And so what we're going to do is we're going to look at the keys that we need to live the kingdom potential that we have here for Jesus. And so we're going to look at three components. There's been a group of us here at Fam Church that have been looking at three things and revising and, and, and getting new vision for three things. It's our mission, it's our purposes, and it's our core values. And we're going to look at these three things over the next three weeks to see what God is calling us to do as a church to advance his kingdom here in Mulberry. And so where I want to turn this morning is the book of Luke chapter 19. If you're not familiar where Luke is at, it's in the New Testament. You go Matthew, you go Mark, you go Luke, there he is. Uh, If you're unable to locate it, don't worry, we got that covered. It's going to be on the screen behind me. Um, But this guy, this book was written by a guy named Luke. And just a little bit about Luke. Luke was a doctor. He was a smart man, okay? He, He was very intelligent. And so, and he wrote this book. And not only was he very intelligent, but he spent a lot of time traveling with a guy named Paul. And Paul went around the Roman Empire planting churches everywhere. He planted churches all over the Roman Empire. And so, and so he actually, Luke got to live firsthand what Jesus's mission was for the church, what Jesus's mission was for, for his church churches to do as they went out and as they started churches and as they advanced in the world. And so he understood what was going on. And so with that, we're going to read Luke chapter 19, verses 1 through 10. And uh, this is what it says, starting in verse 1 of chapter 19. It says, Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. Anybody understand that problem in the room today? So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him, since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter, he has gone to be the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said, Lord, look, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor, and if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay them back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and to save the lost. So what do we have going on in this story? Jesus wanders into this town of Jericho. Have you ever wandered into a town just unsuspectingly? That was kind of the the story of my childhood. Uh, My parents would just, we'd get in the car and we'd just go for drives and and find strange towns and find strange stores in those towns that no kids had a right being in because everything in there was fragile and if you breathed on it, it would break. And I used to hate that about my parents because we'd just go wandering off, wandering the countryside, seeing all of these different things, going here, going there without a purpose. Well, the deal is, is that Jesus doesn't just wander into Jericho without a purpose. He has a purpose and a mission in getting into Jericho, okay? And his purpose and his mission is a lost man named Zacchaeus. He's coming there to change the life of a guy named Zacchaeus. 
Now, as Jesus walks into town, he gets a rock star reception, okay? Everybody's waiting for him to come. Everybody's waiting for him to get there. And, and Jesus walks in, and the crowd gathers, and they're just super excited. They're super, they're just like, man, Jesus, here he is. He's in our town. Let's get out to see him. And Zacchaeus, of course, being a part of that town, wanted to see this guy Jesus too. And, uh, and so as it already said, he was short. He couldn't see over the crowd. And so he decides to climb a tree. That's his solution. You may be asking, well, why didn't he just push his way through the crowd? Why didn't he just say, get out of my way? I need to see Jesus. Because some of us that are short in here would probably say, that's the way I'd handle that situation. I'd just push some people out of the way, throw a few elbows until I got up to the front. Well, here's the deal. The text says that Jesus, or I mean that Zacchaeus was a tax collector. Okay, and being a tax collector as a Jew was not a good thing. Okay, that meant you worked for the Roman government. The Jews hated the Romans. They hated the Roman government. And so anyone who would work for the Roman government was considered a traitor, was considered the vilest of vile, the lowest of low, the worst possible people you could imagine. And so if Zacchaeus had tried to elbow his way up to the front to see, they probably would have beat him up. Okay, And so Zacchaeus was trying to protect himself by climbing the tree while also having the ability to see Jesus. And the thing that blows everyone's mind here in this story is that, that Jesus comes into town and instead of going to see anyone else, any of the religious leaders, Jesus goes to Zacchaeus. He goes to the man who's considered the vilest of vile, the worst of the worst, the, 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 the trash of their society. And Jesus says, hey, buddy, get out of the tree because I'm coming to your house for dinner. I mean, it was just, it was just a, a, a scandalous thing. But Jesus was there for a mission. The Son of Man came to seek and to save what was lost. And for a church and followers of Jesus, this mission has not changed. Jesus has called his church to seek and to save the lost. And that is what our mission statement is communicating about who FAM Church is. See, we are here to connect people to Christ regardless of their background, regardless of how quote-unquote vile and terrible a sinner they may be. Fam Church is to be a place where people can come and be connected to Christ. But it's not just the mission of the church. It should be the personal mission of everyone who calls Fam Church their home church. It should be our personal mission. Because Jesus made it fairly clear what his followers should do just before he left the earth. In Matthew uh, 28, 19 through 20, Jesus said this. He said, and this was just before he left the earth and his disciples wanted to know what they should do once he leaves the earth. He said, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you and surely I am with you always to the end of the age. That was the command to him. And I know some of you that heard that and said, well, those verses, they're primarily about uh, discipleship and it's not about reaching lost people. Well, here's the problem, okay? What we have done in the church is we have taken discipleship and made it about sitting in a classroom, listening to somebody talk about the Bible and us gaining more information. And the more information we gain, then we conclude the more mature you are. But that is not what a disciple is. 
a disciple, yes, they do hear the teachings and they, they absorb the teachings of Jesus and they, and they know what they're supposed to do, but it's also somebody who does the things that Jesus did. And if there's separation between the two, if you're saying, well, I'm a disciple, because you can't have one without the other. You have to be a both and. You have to be out there reaching. You have to be out there ministering. You have to be out there doing as much as you are sitting in a classroom, listening to somebody talk about the Bible. That's what true discipleship is. And this was the struggle that the people had in the town that Jesus came into there in Jericho. They had spent years in the, in the temple. They had spent years in the synagogue there listening to the teachers of the law talk about the Bible over and over and over again and the things they should do and the things that they shouldn't do. And they'd become these religious people who looked at anyone else who wasn't like them and looked down on them because all they had was the head knowledge without the heart knowledge of what God was communicating through his word. Because if you read the Old Testament, God communicates through it over and over and over again how much he loved those who were far from him. It's not something that's new. And so these people should have known that, but they didn't know it because they were just taking in the knowledge and not putting into practice and doing what Jesus or God had told them to do. And at church, discipleship has become showing up at Sunday school or a small group and taking in all kinds of information and declaring we are more, more mature because of this information. If we're not reaching people far from God, if we're not reaching people far from God at this church, we are not complete disciples. And so that's the first key. That's the first key to the kingdom of God here at Fam Church and for Mulberry is for us to get out there as a church and individuals and reach people. Now with this key, there's several things I want to say to us as a church that we need to understand. And the first one is this. Time is short, hell is real, and people we know are going there. That should bother every one of us who follows Jesus in this room. It should bother each and every single one of us. And I know that the talk of hell is not a politically correct thing to discuss anymore because, oh, we don't want to hurt anyone. We don't want to offend anyone. We don't want anyone to know. You know what? In life, sometimes the truth is painful. Okay? And that's the thing, is that God doesn't do things like we do them. I know we live in a society where we want to give people 8,000 chances or, you know, it's like uh, uh, we, we, as parents, parents these days, you guys might have heard this story on the news of that kid in Texas who had killed, uh, killed a couple of people when he was driving drunk and when he didn't follow through with what he was supposed to do by the courts, his mom, in order to avoid consequences, took him and went to Mexico with his son in order for him to not go to jail because of what he did. You know, and today, I mean, teachers, uh, you can attest to this. You've got kids and you've got parents. You've got kids who aren't doing their homework. And then the parents and the kids call and beg and say, please give me extra credit because I didn't do my homework. And unfortunately, we're in a culture where, where, where they just give out extra credit. Man, when I was a kid, if you went to your teacher and said, I didn't do my homework, give me extra credit, they would say, you know what? That's too bad. You should have done what you were supposed to do in the first place. And unfortunately, God doesn't just say, oh, well, whatever. God has said some things. He has laid some things down. He has said that this is the way it's going to be, and that's the way it is. 
And so when God says that anyone who is separated from him at death does not end up in his presence for all eternity, unfortunately that's not something that anyone can do anything about. But that's why he's given the church. Because his heart and his goal is that none should perish. No one, he he doesn't want anyone to perish. But we as the church have to be willing to do what God has called us to do in reaching those who are far from God in order to prevent that from happening. It's our job to make sure that that happens as little as possible, that people leave this earth without knowing about who Jesus is. The second thing that I would like for everyone to realize in order for us to get a hold of the keys is that we need to understand the church is not about us. Churches that have been around for a while at some point go through a mental shift where the people who come there believe that the church is there for them and what they need. It becomes a country club for those who follow Jesus to hang out at and have the things that they want going on at the church. I mean, what happens with Jesus entered this town is is a perfect example of where people go mentally. Instead of going to the religious people like uh, any good rabbi should, he started a ministry to a tax collector and the church people lost their minds. They were mad. They were mad because Jesus was doing a ministry that wasn't meeting their need. There's another part in Luke chapter 5 where where Jesus goes to the prostitutes and the drunks and the the tax collectors and and, and the religious people once again there, they lose their minds as well. They get mad at Jesus because they wanted Jesus to come hang with them, to be their buddy, but that's not what Jesus was called to do. I don't know if you remember this story uh, in, in, in the Bible, but Jesus tells the story of the lost sheep. He talks about the one sheep that's lost. Okay, what did Jesus do to find the lost sheep? The 99 that were not lost, he left them to go find the lost one. I mean, think about the consequences of that here. What Jesus is in essence saying is that if you're already found, I don't need to be there holding your hand all the time. There's plenty of other lost sheep out here that I need to go and get. And that's what he's saying when he communicated that in the story. But we're not here to meet our needs. I had a great uh, conversation with uh, Terry and Deb on Wednesday night that illustrates this principle. Okay, Terry came to me, and sorry, I didn't warn you about this, Terry. I'm putting you on the spot anyways. I figured you could handle it, all right? Uh, But he comes to me, and he says, could you please tell me the names of the worship bands that you guys do on Sunday mornings? He says, my wife and I, we don't know these songs, and we want to be able to sing along with them. And so we want to find them. We want to listen to that music so that we know the songs. That's a great, great attitude. Because what usually happens in a situation like that is that the person will come and say, hey, I don't know the songs that you are doing. And unless you do the songs that I know, I'm going to go to a church that does the songs that I know. I'll be honest, I don't know half of the songs we do on Sunday morning. But it never stops me from worshiping God. It hasn't shut me down one single time. And really... When we get to heaven, you're going to be learning new worship songs all the time, okay? Jesus is not going to go 
to Eden and say, Eden, she even in here? Sister Smith only knows these 10 songs. And so listen, for all eternity, we just got to roll with these 10 songs. It's not going to happen, okay? And anything that we look at in the church and our reason or our problem starts with an I, we got to really think about what we're saying. I've heard people say, like, uh, when we did our volunteer banquet, people said, oh, I'm not coming because I don't like sunnies. And uh, at our missions banquet, heard the same sort of thing. Can I tell you, the volunteer banquet and the missions banquet wasn't about you, okay? Straight up, it was about Jesus. It was about Jesus wanting to honor you, serving his church, and it was about Jesus wanting to tell you what was going on in the world as far as missions goes. But as long as it's about us, we're never going to get the keys to the kingdom to advance and do what Jesus wants us to do in this city. Then the third thing I have to say is that if we live this mission out, the best days are not behind this church, but they are ahead. Listen, this church has had some great days and it's past. There has been some great men and women of God that have served this church and seen God do some amazing things through them. But we need to stop looking back and saying to those days, remember what God did? Why isn't that happening today? Instead, we need to look back and say, man, God did some amazing things in this church's past, but God has some even greater things in store for this church's future. We have to change our perspective of what we believe that God is going to do here. We can't get down because of anything, because of a few empty seats around us. We can't get, we got to say, you know what? God is greater days ahead for this church. I see it moving forward, and I want to be a part of what he's doing. And then the, la- the last little piece of this is, listen, if you're, you're frustrated with empty seats, it's not just my job to fill them. It's not just mine, Lisa's, Pito, and Eden's job to fill them. It's not even the staff and the board's job to fill them. It's every one of us in this room doing our part, making a difference to see these seats filled. Now, I'm sure that some people are getting nervous thinking, oh boy, now he's going to... Now he's going to round us all up and take us out on the streets of Mulberry and we're going to do some good old street witnessing and telling people about Jesus. Okay, that's not what I'm saying here, okay? What I am saying is that we need to be a force for Jesus in this community. We need to be present in this community. At community events, like the football games. We need to be a present presence at the various things that happen with the city. I mean, in two Saturdays, uh, Saturday the 29th, 
that's the right day. Uh, 29th, we are having a, uh, we're taking two spaces at the city's harvest festival. And we're going to make balloon animals and we're going to have a speed pitch game where you can throw a baseball and see how fast you can throw. Listen, if there's anybody in here who knows how to make animals, balloon animals or stuff like that, talk to me because uh, I'm in charge of that and I do need some help because I can't do it by myself. So if you can make balloon animals or would like to learn even how to make them, just let me know um, because I can use you that Saturday from 5 to 8. But we're here to show the community the love of Jesus by us participating in the community. But it's also about us engaging in people's lives. When we're with someone, like we're at Walmart and we're checking out and we're having a conversation with the cashier or we're getting our manicure or our pedicure and we're talking to the person next to us or, or the person who's doing the, the whatever stuff. I've never had it done, so I don't even know what happens, but doing the stuff, okay? Um, when our neighbor is out washing their car, when we're talking with somebody, we need to engage them. And it's not like you have to tell them who Jesus is. I've got a really simple formula for engaging people. You're having a conversation with them. They share with you a pain. They share with you a problem. Just pray for it. That's all you have to do. You don't have to know anything about Jesus. You don't have to be this, yeah, well, Jesus, let me tell you the four spiritual laws, you know. You don't have to do that. All you have to do is know, a, hear a pain, hear a problem, and pray for the situation. The three Ps, pain, problem, pray. Your neighbor comes and says, man, my daughter, you're talking to him, my daughter is struggling with college, with where to go to college. That's a problem. Just stop and say, can I pray for you? And just pray, God help them with having wisdom for a college decision. You've got, you've got somebody, a Walmart cashier, who's, who's having marital problems, and they say, you know what, we're just having problems at home. That's a pain. You can stop and you can pray and you can let them just pray, God, touch their marriage. Do you know Barna came out with a study recently uh, that, they, that they found that majority of Americans believe in miracles. The majority of Americans believe in miracles. And so if you've got somebody who's got a pain, who's got a problem, and you stop and you pray for that pain, you pray for that problem, chances are the person is, one, going to be thankful you did it, but two, they're going to think that you actually did something. And you did do something about it, but, but you did something about it by praying for that need and bringing it before God because most of them think that they're not worthy enough to step into God's presence, and yet here you did. You went and you prayed. You went into God's presence for them and it's going to blow their minds. Then all you have to do is give them a little Fam Church invite card, tell them, hey, I'm from Fam Church, and that's it. That's all you've got to do. It's so simple. It's so easy. We just got to get out there. See, God has this mission for Fam Church to connect people to Christ, and that's the first key in advancing God's kingdom here in Mulberry. But it's not just the church's mission. It needs to be our personal mission as well. It was Jesus' mission, and he wants us to fully jump in and engage with his mission. Why? Because time is short. The community needs to know that there is hope here. The community needs to know there is joy here. This community know, needs to know that Jesus has something greater in store for their life than what they're living right now. And that's the first key to unlocking and advancing the kingdom of God here at FAM and in Mulberry. 
And so the question is, if this is your church, if Fam Church is your home church, are you going to grab that key and use that key and unlock that, that door and go through that door and say, you know what? I need to connect people with Christ. It's, it's got to be a part of who I am. And so I'm going to go out there and I'm going to do what I can to connect people with Christ.